Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Get Out A Wrap. Today I'm joined by Gillian Manor and Gillian is a research fellow and PhD candidate at the University of Edinburgh and works with the Scottish Collaboration for Public Health Research and Policy. And um, we first came into contact over a year ago as I was one of the um, participants in for her PhD work, a study called the Workplace Health in Contact Centres. Gillian, thanks very much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's nice to be on a podcast for my first the first time. And you have, as you as you mentioned at the start, you've got your baseball cap on. Yeah, <laughs> representing Toronto. I noticed you always had yours on, so I stole it from my boyfriend just before we started recording. <laughs> Mine's because I I've worn them for years, but in in the pandemic, I just started wearing them whilst working and and I have no hair all my hair's gone other than on my face and nostrils <laughs> uh, what a perfect backdrop as well you have there yes none of them are my books but <laughs> over the room just so, in case you have questions <laughs> so before we get on to the fascinating work you're doing and it's great to see some academic studies in in contact centers um Maybe just a little bit about yourself. So you're you you live in Edinburgh, but how have you sort of come to this point now? What's your your journey been? Um, my background is it's a bit confusing. So I, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Um, I was really interested in kind of physical activity and exercise. So I did my undergraduate degree in kinesiology and health science at York University in Toronto. Um, I originally wanted to go into sports medicine. Um, and then I kind of graduated, didn't know what I wanted to do. So then I went and did a master's in public health. Um, I did online through the University of Waterloo, um, also in Canada. Um, but while I was doing it, because it was online, I figured, well, why not move to, to Edinburgh? Because I always wanted to live in Edinburgh. So I moved here and I started working for the Scottish Collaboration for Public Health Research and Policy. We call it SHERP, even though that's not actually how you pronounce it. Um, SHERP for short. <laughs> Um, so I started doing work with them um, and then I started to do my PhD um, and I've always really been interested in kind of physical activity, center behavior, kind of well-being in general. Um, and one of the projects that I was working on before I started my PhD, because um, I was working as a research fellow, um, was a project called Stand Up for Health. Um, so it was a program to reduce sedentary behavior or sitting behavior, um, specifically um, in staff who work in call centers or contact centers. So that's kind of when I got interested in call centers, contact centers. Um, and so I started to do that project. And then the funding from that project kind of led on to a PhD. Um, so I kind of wanted to continue doing work um, in call centers. Um, and uh, that, yeah, that's kind of a quick, quick tour, um, but kind of in the middle of, um, in the middle of all that, so between my undergrad and my master's, I had a couple years gap. I also had a couple years gap between my master's and my PhD. Um, I worked at for an insurance company in Canada. Um, so I it was it was a kind of a call center. So I was um, an intake case manager. Um, so I had a caseload um, of people that were going off on short term disability sick leave. Um, so they actually the client was a, a bank. Um, so I basically dealt with all of the employees that were going off on short term disability for the bank. Um, so I had a headset and all that that fun stuff. Um, so a tiny bit of experience working in a call center environment. Um, so I kind of had that background as well, which is interesting to then bring in to look at it from a research perspective. The, the sedentary um, project, it's kind of, straight away my ears picked up then because it's always, it's kind of um, a common thing that people say in call centers is, welcome to the call center, 
you're going to put on two stone because everyone's always got a birthday and you are sat down for your entire shift near enough. So I bet that was fascinating as well. Yeah, I mean, I put on, I still don't know the difference in the stone, but I put oh, on 10 pounds when yeah. I started working in, in for the insurance company. And I was shocked because I'm extremely active. I work out every day, but it was just that transition from like, sure, you can work out in the morning. And there's evidence to show that, you know, if you exercise out with your work day, it can help um, kind of alleviate the, the negative impact of sitting all day. But still, if you're sitting all day, it's still not, you know, not, not good for you. So I, I saw that firsthand and I was very frustrated. What's that? Is it, is it better to work out in the day rather than in the morning or? So the, the evidence is, and I'm not an expert on this, but in, in my, the bit of reading that I've done, it's really mixed. Um, so obviously if you're going to exercise better than not exercising. Um, and if you're going to exercise before or after work, that's great. Um, but it's also it's equally or also important to be breaking up your sitting time during the day. Um, so and there's several reasons for that. Um, you know, a lot of musculoskeletal issues stem from being in one position for a long period of time. Um, so that's kind of that can kind of be helped with exercising out with the workday. But if you're getting up, you know, every 30 minutes, or every 20 minutes or or whatnot, um, that can help a lot. Um, so it is mixed. But I, I think the kind of gist is, you know, obviously you want to stick with the physical activity guidelines. And if you're sticking with the physical activity guidelines and you're doing that to break up your day even better. Um, but a lot of people can't do that. So, you know, they'll go for, you know, like I went for a really long run this morning and I'm kind of like, okay, well I'm set now, but so we'll still try and get up during the day. So it really depends on what you can fit in, but if you can do both, if you can break up sitting and exercise, that's okay. ideal. Yeah. So let's start with workplace health in contact centers. Um, can you just talk through why that particular topic and how you go about and what you how you go about setting it up and and then what what you did? Yeah. Um, so f just to go back to the Santa for Health project, um, yes. and just to say there, so that was funded by the National Institute for Health Research. Um, just to mention that the funding there. Um, so we we went in and we worked with contact centers and we went in saying, you know, we've done a lot of research. We know that you have problems with sitting. Um, but when we talked to them, it kind of brought up a whole other, you know, list of issues. So there was, there are various barriers. There's, you know, there's mental health and physical health, um, you know, sitting, physical activity, there's all these different things. So even though we went in and we wanted to talk about sitting, it's not just about sitting because if you're sitting all day, that can impact your mental health. And if you're sitting all day, you might not want to exercise and you're sitting all day, you might not want to eat health. Like there's, there's so many interconnected uh, health behaviors, so interconnected. Um, so when I went to do the PhD, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to focus on one behavior, although in the thesis, I'll probably write about the different behaviors and how they relate to contact centers. Um, but I was like, oh, I kind of want to work with just general well-being programs because they tend to encompass all of those things. And normally if there's an issue with a well-being program that will impact on multiple health behaviors, not just one. Um, the other thing was um, we use something called the socio-ecological model, which basically means that when we go in, we wanna look at um, programs or behaviors or, or whatnot at different levels. So there's the individual level. So there's the, the individuals and their motivation and their you know willingness to participate or 
in health behaviors or health programs. Then there's the social level. Um, so if the conduct center has social events or if you know they run you know a step count challenge or various things that they do together, um, and that can be organized by the organization or just coworkers organizing it themselves. There's the environmental level, which is the easiest one. So that's the actual physical environment of the office and also the physical environment and the infrastructure around the office. Um, and if that's kind of conducive to health behaviors. And then there's the um, organizational level, which is the highest. And that's kind of like, you know, what the policies are of the organization, what the culture is of the organization. Um, and so when we did we went into centers in the Center for Health project, we noticed that a lot of them had various activities at the different levels. It was a lot of individual stuff, um, like employee assistance programs, which are great, things like that. But ultimately, if the organizational level wasn't supportive, so if there wasn't, and I, and I know we talked about this, there wasn't buy-in at that, that higher level, or there weren't policies or things to kind of support what was happening at the other levels, it kind of didn't work so well. Um, so the PhD not only focuses on probably wider well-being programs and health behaviors, but also looking at that level because, mm. and that's the most difficult level to change. Um, and and uh, I want to figure out how to do that and work with centers to do that. Um, and a lot of the research concludes in saying more research is needed to look at organizational barriers um, because a because they normally don't they don't have time to to that takes time to impact on that level. It's hard. It's mm. hard to recruit people at that that are you know senior management because they're busy. I'm sure you're you're very busy, um, and uh, it's just it's yeah it's hard. <laughs> so um, I made a hard job for myself by choosing to broaden the scope and look at a, a really hard thing yeah <laughs> i guess by by doing that um the potential for having a, a positive impact as a result of your work is magnified exactly yeah you, you know because it like you say there's so much stuff that's interconnected and if you can get it at an organizational level then there could be some, there, there could be huge huge benefits Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that was also kind of my thinking. And, and even going back to the reason that I went into study public health was because I didn't want to work in a, in a clinical setting. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I wanted to do things at a higher level. I wanted to like see impact. And, and so I think that's why I made such a hard job for myself. And that's why I wanted to do it at that level, because it's sometimes frustrating, even when you work in a non-contact center organization, we've all worked in large you know, organizations um, where, you know, you can only do so much if you don't have the buy-in from the top or the, the policies don't allow, um, if there's that culture of um, working overtime, having to meet targets. So when I worked at the insurance company, um, we had a certain number of calls that we had to make a day. We had a turnaround time for every call. So we had to call people um, within like 24 hours or something, I'm submitting a claim. So I mean, that didn't, they didn't care how many hours you worked. So if I had to work, you know, 10 hours because I had to meet my, you know, agreement, service level agreements, and I had to meet the turnaround times, I worked for 10 hours. And then other days I may have worked less, but um, so those things are really difficult. But then it was like, oh, but you can wear jeans on Fridays. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll be comfortable <laughs> when I'm working my 10 hour day. Thank you very much. And I guess it's things like just, um, we did a, um, a scheme where 
I think it was through Virgin and it was about everyone had, you, you were split into random teams across the whole company and it was a step challenge, but it was even things like at a leadership level, we had to think about how it was communicated and giving people the time. Because if you think about contact centers, every minute is measured somewhere and that's attributed to a cost. And like you say, the, the commitment for the organization to say, we're, we're, we're gonna focus on something that is ultimately about physical activity and well-being. It's gonna require 300 people attending a meeting for half an hour, which equals this amount of um, money and cost. Are we okay with that? Yes, you know, but sometimes that doesn't happen and things do happen on a more granular level, I guess, that what you've seen. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure and not and and that sounded a bit negative what I said not to say they had other things that were great and they had an employee assistance program um but yeah and it's it varies so much from organization to organization um and you know in speaking to the, the different organizations that I spoke to as part of my first PhD study it was really interesting because some of them are really great um and there is that buy-in at the organizational level and some and some of them there isn't that buy-in um, but I was, I was actually pleasantly surprised. And I know that I've listened to a few of the episodes on your podcast and you're really positive about, um, call centers. And I think that that's really good because there's such a negative perception of them. Mm. And I had such a negative perception of them. I really, really did before I went in and work with them. Um, and there are still some call centers that yeah. you know, are like, it's, yeah. it's not, they're not the best places to work. Um, but we worked with a lot of managers and senior managers who genuinely cared about their employees. They wanted to make a change. Um, so I think, and you'll, you probably know, know more about this than me, but I think that the tide is kind of changing a little bit um, in, in the industry. Um, obviously not for all organizations and it's so very. Um, it's, it's a really good point. I think with all industries, there's, there's good and bad. And yeah, you're right. I, I generally have a, a positive view based on my own experiences but also the people that I I've, I've worked with for for many years but I I don't think we should I think the problem is you you can say I try and dispel some of the negativity the negative perceptions around contact centers but I also think it's on us to to be realistic and and own some of the the truths around it a that there are places that are maybe not as progressive but b even in a progressive environment where your well-being is well considered and the environment is great and you feel valued the nature of the job itself if you are on the phones isn't great all the time you know and i think we should just be open about that and say say that's the case however you can have a great career it can be made easier because of doing x y and z and i think that's why i was so drawn to um your study because i've looked for academic studies around contact centers a lot and found a few um some really interesting ones about boredom and, and other things but really there's not a great deal and when you think that um even just in the uk I think there's it's there's 6,000 contact centres and just under a million people working in them. It's it's a huge industry without many studies having been done. Was that also appealing in when you chose it or? 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, as a researcher, you always want to do research in an area that's new because then you can be the first person or, you, you know, you can have a bigger impact on, on, um, the, for me, I want to have an impact on the industry. Um, but actually the reason that I ended up working with call centers was because the, so the stand up for health project or the, the intervention was designed by a group of master's students initially, um, in the master of public health program at the university of Edinburgh. Um, and the reason they picked call centers was because they wanted to look at sedentary behavior and call centers had the highest levels of sedentary behavior as compared to other um, desk-based environment or office-based work environments. So that's why they picked them because they were the most sedentary and they, were, they wanted to deal with sedentary behavior. So that was the initial reason. And then um, when we did the project, I was working on the, the evaluation of the intervention, the Center for Health project, um, and we worked with them and then I kind of became interested in them um, because they're, yeah, they're very sedentary staff members, but also it's such a unique environment and it's really complex um, and there's a lot of pressure on staff. And we felt that because it was such a, a unique environment and complex environment, any kind of well-being intervention or anything that we did with them could then be applied to less complex organizations or work environments. That was also the kind of reason that we started working with them and also the reason that I was interested in them. So I figured, you know, if we work with the hard, the hard ones, then we can then, so, so I hope that the outcome of the research can be applied to other office-based or I guess working from home, mm. but tra traditionally office-based um, businesses. So hopefully it's, it can be more. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's brilliant. So um, take us right back then. How do you even, how did you start? What did you do? So um, we, so I finished working on the Center for Health project, and I had kind of learned that um, it was really important to be targeting the organizational level. So when I kind of wrote the proposal for the PhD, it was okay. I want to develop something or learn more about how to make change or at that organizational level. Um, and a lot of students start off doing what's called a systematic review, where they basically just it's a review of other they review the literature um, and they, yeah, they review other literature and then they make an academic paper out of that. Um, but I was really struggling to figure out what my research question would be. Um, and I was thinking, you know, the literature is really outdated now. Also, there's not that much stuff on specifically on contact centers, which you, you mentioned. Um, also, there's this thing called COVID now. Um, so everything's changed. So if I go back and look at the literature, it doesn't talk about hybrid working. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know what's happening in call centers. I like, so I was like, you know what, I need to talk to people. I need to just start off with talking to people. So I did the non-traditional um, systematic review route. And I just contacted, you know, people like you um, who work in, in call in the industry and also people who work um, like for the NHS who work with um, call centers and, you know, workplace health specialists um, to see what's going on in the industry. What are the barriers? Um, you know, what are, what were the barriers to kind of well-being and well-being programs before COVID? Are they the same after COVID? What are the new ones because of COVID? So it kind of became all about COVID. Um, I, hopefully it, it won't just be about that. Um, yeah, so I, that's why I started with that first study. So I basically just, and it was really like similar to probably the conversation we're having now. I had a series of rough questions that I wanted to ask, but I just kind of wanted to know what was going on so I could then focus the future research on, you know, what what's actually needed because I didn't want to go in and say okay well I think that this is a problem based on this old outdated literature um so 
I wanted to speak to people. And then the outcome of that was, um, was a report that I sent to you and, and the other participants and um, that kind of, and then, and then now from there, I can move on to, to a second study because I kind of have an idea of, of what's happening um, in the industry. Before we go on to the, um, the report and the, and the results, um, what were some of the questions that you had in, in your mind to start with? Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of wanted to know what the existing barriers were um, to health and well-being programs. Um, and then I was asking about um, if there were organizational level barriers um, to health and well-being programs. Um, and then I also asked um, kind of about COVID. I, for, I just didn't, I didn't ask about well-being. I just asked about COVID in general because I wanted to just get all of it um, to get, because it's all connected and it's all related. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things that came out of that. Um, I asked about hybrid working. I also asked about technology. Um, I know it's a re really broad question because I don't, I'm not a tech person at all. And I know there's a lot of really complex technology that goes on and comes with the, the territory for, for call centers. Um, and there's a lot of new stuff that's coming out. Um, I won't use any of the terms because I'm going to misuse them, but I know there's AI and omni-channel and things like that. Yeah, um, you know so them. To, to, okay. Um, yeah. So I wanted to know how technology has changed or enabled people to work from home. And so I, again, I just asked broadly, I didn't talk about well-being. And then I talked about, does, is this related to, to well-being? And there was some of it that was related and, and some of it that was kind of indirectly related. Um, so yeah, it was technology, COVID, and and then I kind of got into well-being. Um, and I tried to kind of tease out if there were organizational level barriers. And I got that from most, most people were able to immediately say, these are the organizational barriers, while others kind of stuck with the the more general kind of barriers and weren't able to specifically kind of say these are organizational level um, barriers, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. What Was there anything about the, the process of the interviews themselves that um, surprised you? How, how did you find them? Um, well, it was so interesting um, because I spoke to people from various, like the public sector and the private sector. And then there was, there were people who worked with contact centers. I spoke to a union representative so I feel like I got a really well-rounded view. I mean, I could have spoken to more people. I, I only spoke to 16, um, but it was it was still, even with 16, quite varied. Um, I learned a lot. Um, so one of the things that surprised me was um, when I asked about technology, um, and I, I probably could have thought of this, but I just, it didn't cross my mind. Um, because technology is starting to um, be able to kind of do basic tasks that it, previously humans would do or humans are now doing, it means that um, potentially uh, frontline call center staff will be able to do more complex tasks, um, which would kind of maybe increase the value of their roles, which would kind of increase their status in the industry. Hadn't even thought of that. Super interesting. I don't know how that kind of ties into well-being, perhaps indirectly, um, if they're feeling like their jobs are more valued um, from maybe a mental health perspective. Um, so that was interesting. Um, yeah, that was one of the things I'm trying to think there was definitely something else I thought was interesting. Um, oh, I can't remember. I'll, uh... Even on that, even on that one, it is, it is fascinating that um, for a few years now, even before COVID at, at conferences and um, for the right reasons, uh, people would be saying, through a combination of self-serve, so as a customer, you're 
you can do a lot more yourself on the website or or, or what or another an app or another another channel it means that by the time being able to speak to a human an agent you're there's going to be more complex tasks and this was kind of this has always been uh communicated as a positive for everyone and like you say it, there's nothing worse than doing a lot of mundane tasks this is why i guess we were considered the factories of our of our time um so do away with mundane have more complex tasks and like you say you feel like your role is more professional and more technical i always think the danger though that people don't necessarily always talk about in our industry is we should pay people accordingly for that you know it's no it actually could become a negative if you feel like you're doing far more complex stuff and problem solving if how you're remunerated or the benefits you receive stay the same as um proportionately so anyway say the same as when you were doing more um transactional kind of um tasks it can it can because you're you're asking for more yes it's more varied and more interesting is the whole point but it, unless unless you are um treated accordingly it could it could it could then become a, a negative there's always been my kind of thoughts on it it's yes yeah, you'd get people say yeah yeah i'd love to do something more varied and more challenging um and i will do that but what's in it for me <laughs> yeah yeah no i hadn't i hadn't thought of that either so um I'm really keen to understand then some of the, um, what did you find then, especially you mentioned there around most people kind of went to organizational barriers to, to workplace health. What, what did you find and what was shared in your report? Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing, and I don't know if it's super clear in the report, but it certainly is a main theme in the academic paper, which is quite a bit longer. So I could kind of write all the things I wanted to, to write. Um, <clears throat> the biggest thing was that, and just going back to the, my joke about the, oh, I can wear jeans when I do my 10 hour shift. It really was about that. So a yeah. lot of the time it was <clears throat> an organization's outward values might be to you know, that they prioritize employee well-being, but then the existing behavior of employees and the policies and, you know, the numbers and things around that didn't necessarily support that. Um, and that was something that was before COVID from working on the Stand Up for Health project, we kind of knew. Um, and it's a really difficult thing to overcome. So, you know, having a lot of, you know, encouraging people to go for a walk at lunch or, you know, making the, having ping pong tables in the office or sending people equip, you know, equipment to do things at home or, or whatnot. Um, but then overloading people with work at the same time, or, mm -hmm. you know, um, having, being really numbers driven and the people at the top being really numbers driven, but then not understanding what those numbers necessarily mean um, and how, you know, if, some sales are lower one week it might not necessarily be because people aren't working hard enough it's just because that's what the, the that's what's happening with the economy or that's what's happening with the wider yeah. um well that's just the way it is exactly the variables um, mm -hmm. so and and not kind of looking looking closer at that so i think there was that kind of contrast of we care about employee well-being and i think there it wasn't that they didn't care there was a genuine care about it but then not really uh understanding that there were certain there was a culture or there were policies or whatnot at the higher kind of levels of the organization that kind of provided barriers to that um, and that was kind of what I 
what I thought going into the interview. So I was quite happy that that came out because that was kind of what I was thinking after coming off of the Santa Health Project. So I think that was the main thing was that disconnect between the kind of what they, the outward values, but then the actual, what was actually going on and the actual beliefs of the, the people at the top. Um, and again, that's not to say that they were bad or they didn't care. <clears throat> there was just that disconnect um, and that kind of maybe misunderstanding. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of what came out of it was, was the number, the numbers and the, the targets and um, having a lot of work and being really busy, especially during the pandemic, depending on what type of call center you're working in. Um, some were more busier and some weren't busy and were furloughed and lost their jobs and things like that. So it was really varied. Um, but I think that that was the main thing. Um, and then the other thing um, that I thought was interesting, and I actually had heard this a little bit before um, from the, the Santa for Health Project, um, was the, the struggles of middle management. Um, and so when you go back to the numbers, middle management, obviously they've got teams below them, they've got senior management above them, they have the numbers. They have to encourage their teams and support their teams to meet those numbers. But at the same time, they're also the frontline people who are kind of dealing with um, the front, the, their teams and, and, you know, if they were struggling during the pandemic, um, you know, with mental health or if they needed support. So they kind of had like, you know, we're working overtime to, you know, meet the needs of the people above them and also meet the needs of people below them. Whereas when you think about it, the people at the top and the people at the bottom, they only have, you know, they don't necessarily, they don't, it's, they're like the middle management, like sandwiched in the middle. So they've almost got two, two jobs. And a lot of people said that, and even um, the workplace health um, people that I spoke to said that as well, that they had heard that from middle management and they don't even work in, in call centers. They just work with them. Um, so that was the other thing that I hadn't considered was the, the struggles of middle management um, and the stress that they're under. Um, and so the suggestion was to, you know, say that, you know, middle management have the capacity to kind of help alleviate those organizational barriers, but they need to have the support to do so. Um, and if there are well-being programs that are going on, um, they're kind of sometimes expected to implement those programs while doing their, while doing their regular job. So it's kind of like, are you going to take some of their tasks away from them so they then have capacity? Or are you just then adding to their workload? And if you're adding to their workload by saying, we want you to implement this well-being program, are they, they're, they're, their priorities meeting, meeting the targets, right? Mm -hmm. So they're probably going to prioritize that and because that's their, what they're getting paid to do and that's what they're being told and that's their job. They're, they're the core of their job. Um, so it's difficult for them. Um, and also to, to deal with the individual needs of, of staff members because you know people were working from home a lot of people working from home or even if they're in the office everybody's situation during COVID was vastly different um some people were home weren't able to were, were um isolating some people you know yeah having young kids having people to care for being living alone like there, there were like you know a thousand different situations that you could have been in um whereas before it was it was kind of more similar. Everybody was in the office. It was the same environment. COVID didn't exist. So they had to like middle management had to kind of adapt. Like they had all these different people that they had to cater to because everyone had different needs. And it's just, it was just a lot for them. Um, and they, they needed more support, I think, not in all organizations, but kind of on the whole. I, I, I would a hundred percent agree. I think 
um, generally speaking, generalization is always dangerous, isn't it? But generally speaking, um, that middle management group is probably the most underinvested in in our industry in terms of preparing them for that challenge. Because I, I spent a, a significant part of my career in that in that kind of strata as, of the organisational chart, which is you could you could be spending most of your time dealing with the vagaries of having ten to twenty humans report into you and they've all got different challenges and you know we'd often say to people that took the our jobs um you're going to be a psychologist a parent a police person you're going to be all things to to your team and that's a real challenge so you could be spending all of your time helping people mentally and in their life and do their job and then go to the management above and all they wanted to know was why haven't we hit this number or where how are you, how are you planning to get to this number and you'd be thinking i i'm I, i'm so worn out from my team and all the the human baggage that they've they've brought along i haven't really even really thought about what's happening with the numbers and your points are really good one about the study sort of showing that the implementation of workplace well-being or the the that lives or dies by that group and often whilst you'd be really interested and can see the benefits any additional task was soul destroying at times because you just think how how am i even going to do this how am i going to fit this into uh, my working day and what it's just a, a headache um so it, it, those sorts of things definitely definitely resonated did you find um people that had made some real headway and if so what 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 were the sort of things that they'd done um i think <clears throat> the a lot of the people that i spoke to said you know we we did as <clears throat> we did as much as we could given the situation and also going back to the Santa for health project, because we did speak to a lot of um, frontline staff for that one. Um, a lot of them said, we, we acknowledge that our managers did as much as they, as they could and the organization did as much as they could. So a lot of them were actually um, acknowledged. Then they were, they were appreciative. Cause it was tricky, you know, mm the when there were we were going on in and out of lockdown um but i think a lot of them just did like really like whatsapp like for you know mess like what you were saying like they were personally contacting their staff and of course that's assuming that the ones that had the capacity to do that if they had small teams or if, if the contact center was small and didn't have that many staff members so i spoke to one um a few staff members actually from from one um call center um, and it's quite, their center is, is quite small. Um, and they, they, they knew the staff members before. That was the other thing was that if, if you had new starters then there was, that was a bit more difficult, but if they yeah. all knew each other and they were close and they had a good culture before going into lockdown, then it was, it was easier because they could then, you know, be messaging their employees and they wouldn't, 
the employees knew they actually cared because they they saw them in the office and they they interacted with them in person before. So I think a lot of them, when they had a healthy culture that supported well-being before COVID, I think that translated well during COVID. Um, I think it was perhaps more difficult for the ones that maybe didn't have that um, that culture that supported well-being before because it's really hard to do that. It was really hard to do that while people were working from home because you didn't have that same connection. It was hard to get engagement from people. So um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there was anything specific other than like doing things being more, more personally. I think it was more so like what the, what they were like before. Yes. And I'm really interested in the, um, the concept you said about uh, the disconnect sometimes between uh, an organizational level the values and desire to uh, evidence and demonstrate and act and live the, against the principles of well employee well-being versus activity and the normal operating kind of culture and procedures of um, of contact centres. How or, or is this the part of the next study in terms of how to address that? Yeah, so I think it is part of part of the next study. So the, the first one was mainly I was trying to figure out what the problems were. And then I was the next study would be, OK, how do we then begin to solve these problems? Um, so so, yeah, I think um, when when developing well-being programs, there wasn't really a consideration of the organizational level, the barriers that could come into play. So again, for, you know, for example, encouraging, you know, a lot of um, centers send out newsletters to their staff that had, you know, healthy eating and exercise advice. And that was great. Um, but some, some organizations are, at some organizations, staff couldn't, they couldn't take the advice because they, um, they didn't have time or um, they, they were stressed out because of their job or whatnot. I mean, there were very many reasons why. Um, so it's kind of, to me, I feel like it's taking a step back and thinking, okay, what's the well, what's the strategy for the organization? If you're going to do X, Y, and Z activities, um, it, you really need to think through: Are staff in practically going to be able to take part in these activities? Um, you know, because theoretically, you know, the things that were being sent out, sure, those are great, but can they actually? do them. And also um, a lot of organizations had the employee assistance program where they offered some sort of mental health support, um, which is again, great. And uh, like, I think more and more organizations are starting to have employee assistance programs. I know in Canada, it's quite standard. Um, a lot of the organizations that I worked for had them, which is great. Um, and there's that mental health piece as well. I think a lot of them come with um, counseling, which is great. Um, but then is the is the counseling and is your stress and potentially has your mental health been aggravated by work? And then, then is the underlying problem actually work, not, you know, your personal mental health. It's, it's actually the work is causing you to, you know, maybe you have a predisposition to some sort of, to some sort of mental health difficulty um, and you may have needed that support anyways, but if you then have a stressful work environment that's aggravating that or, or bringing that out when you perhaps didn't have didn't have those symptoms or, or didn't have that diagnosis in the first place. So I think there was the especially with mental health, it's really um, and even to go back to when I was working for um, the insurance company, this was like uh, eight years ago or so. A lot of the claims that came through of people wanting to go on short term disability 
um, were mental health related. And a lot of the mental health related ones were to do with work. So it's not to say that people were faking. Um, I genuinely think, you know, most people who called in, they had gone to their doctor, they had gotten a, a note, they'd gone to a, you know, a psychologist and they'd been diagnosed with some sort of mental health diagnosis, but it was, it was aggravated by work. So how we assessed people, and sorry, this is a slight tangent, but how we assessed people to approve them for going off on disability were why they would get their, uh, their salary, their full salary paid, which was great, um, was their level of function. So, you know, you may have been signed off with, you know, um, depression or anxiety or the various specific diagnoses in those realms. Um, But ultimately, if you, you, we would assess you on your level of function, or we would send your doctor like a a form to fill out to understand your level of function. And if you were able to, to do your job, um, then we would say, okay, perhaps, you know, you don't need to be off, but we need to put something in place to support you. Um, And a lot of times people's level of function would be, um, they could function at work, um, although I, that's you know subjective if you can function or can't function and that that wasn't up to me to decide because those cases often went up to somebody who had more knowledge of mental health uh, than me um, they were functional but they really just didn't want to go to work yeah. and they didn't want to do their job because their job stressed them out and then yeah. that, that mental health that was the cause that was the cause mm. so it was really difficult to because sometimes we had to say to people we can't we can't write you off because you your issue is your job and so we have to go back to the manager and say your employee and it was they we didn't tell them the medical information it was um because we're we're third party um your the issue is you or the issue (laughs) is you the organization and i mean not i mean not to say that well yeah no it could be the nature of the work isn't it so it and it was really complicated then because then it's like, do we, do we, you know, and a lot of times if, if it was really bad, of course we would, we would, and the doctor was saying we would write them off, but it was kind of like, this is an organizational issue because the culture of their workplace wasn't, wasn't helpful for their mental health. Mm -hmm. So it's like, and it's nobody's, you know, it's not the employee's fault. It's not necessarily the manager's fault. It's just the, it's just the, the way that the organize, the way that the job is, and the way, so it's really complicated when it gets when it comes to mental health. Um, anyways, that that's a tangent. Um, it, I can't remember it, why I, <laughs> I went on that tangent. It, it's a very um, it's a very interesting tangent though because it points to, um, oh, like as we we were talking about earlier. Ultimately, I think if you're any, in any position of responsibility within our industry, you want to make the the best environment the best culture so that any team member engaged in activity um is in a good space right but but ultimately you can't make the nature of the work different you can't you Mm -hmm. can't you can't have every customer interaction being a positive one because Mm -hmm. you can't tell the customers to be positive when the nature of why they're calling sometimes or the majority of times isn't because they want to ring up and tell you you're a wonderful human being and hope you have a nice day. They, they, they want something resolved. Um, and it's not to say it, it's futile. It's just we've got to get the, the best thing possible. And I, 
you you prompted in me something around employee assistance programs because in my experience often it's just that people aren't aware that they that they even exist they don't have um there isn't enough done to let people know what's available so more often than not it would they the, the take up and the use of them would be minimal when in fact people could be using them just to kind of help them out all of the time it's um it's another area where i think lots of companies have them they probably don't check on the usage as much as they should mm-hmm. um but it, it's just great to see your kind of study um being done how, how long did it take you to to complete that that section of it this section um so i i think i started recruiting um lot in january 2021 and then I did, I interviewed between, I think, February and June or February and April. And then I had a, a straggler in June. Um, so that was the interviews. And then we have to go through quite a rigorous process to analyze them. Um, so we code them. I use a, something called thematic analysis. I'm not going to go, it's boring. I'm not going to explain details. Um, so it took me a while. I mean, I, I sent you the report a couple months ago. So it took like a year um, if I had just been working on that project, it would have been much faster because I was doing other stuff. Um, I work part time and and doing other stuff with the PhD, like a lot of reading and you know uh, studying and things like that. Um, it, it took a year, um, but it probably could have been done like in half that time if uh, if I was just working on that that one thing. Um, yeah. When, and when you look back now, did did the pandemic help or hinder you? Um, I think it provided an opportunity to do research on something new. So before, when I initially submitted my proposal, it was the same, um, but it was before COVID. So it, it was still, how do I help organizations to, um, look, to look at their well-being programs and understand the organizational barriers and looking at that higher level and how to get buy-in from that level to make them more sustainable. Um, but then kind of COVID happened after I had submitted it and after I'd been accepted. Um, so then it was kind of like, okay, well, it's the same idea, but what's going to come out of it is how can they support employees and well-being programs in a hybrid working context? Um, so I think the need for the research increased because there is very little research now, contact centers, hybrid working, like there's probably nothing. I think there might be other people looking at contact centers, maybe like one or two other people in the UK. Um, so it increased the need. So I was actually like, you know what, this is not that the pandemic was good, but in terms of the need for the research, and I think it's it, it made it easy to recruit for the first study. And it's actually made it easier for me to recruit now, recruit now for the second study because people are now more concerned with well-being and more concerned with mental health because nobody knows what to do because it's such a different, it's a different working world now. Um, so it's been super interesting for me. And I hope that at the end of the PhD, you know, and I'll produce various other reports after each study that I do. And obviously that there'll be the thesis and whatever comes out of that. I think it'll be, people will be more interested in it, which is great for me. <laughs> um, and hopefully it'll have a bigger impact on the contact center industry because it's really, really needed. And Oh, and that's a really interesting point from your involvement and all the time you spent doing this. Is that the sense you have then that there is a real need for this? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, there was a need for it before. A lot of, um, uh, calls, I'm sorry, I'm switching between call and contact center. but no, it's um, fine. We all of, do it. <laughs> I, I get, um, 
call centers do needed it. There was a need for it before. And in many organizations want help with their employee well-being um, strategies or programs. So I think there was a need for it before, but now because there's, there's hybrid working, it, there's even more because, because people, there's no research and there's no best practice for how to support well-being for hybrid working. So there, there's no, there's nothing. So we, we need more information on it now. So I think that's why the industry is more interested in it now because they're like, well, even organizations that might've been doing it really well before, um, a lot of the stuff was probably office-based um, or involved things that were staff were doing things together or involved in-person meetings or in-person workshops, in-person events. How do you shift that to, to hybrid? Um, because engagement is really difficult um, online and people get tired of being on Zoom all day and there's all these new things, there's all these new barriers. Um, so, so yeah, I think it, it's more, that's why it's more important because people just don't know what works anymore. And what you mentioned, we've mentioned the report a lot. What was, uh, can you just explain what that is? What is the report? Yeah, so um, so I did, so I did 16 interviews um, with people who work um, in and with um, call centers across the UK. Um, and then the report, I basically analyzed the interviews um, and I, I coded them. Um, and then there were themes that came out of it. And so the report is basically a summary of, it talks about why I did it and kind of the, the summary of the PhD. And then it, it goes through, um, summarizes all the themes that came out um, of, of the of the interviews. Um, and then at the end, it's kind of, it kind of talks about implications for future research and also what, what the themes potentially mean for the future of the industry. Um, and there are various themes. I specifically talk about kind of technology because I asked about that hybrid working. Um, I have a section about um, the reliance on numbers and metrics. Um, and how that impacts on on well-being. Um, there's also a section on leadership, which ties back into the numbers um, and talks about things like um, leading by example. So when organizations had um, leaders who who actually participated in the programs or you know were healthy and and had good health behaviors, it was really good because that filtered down. Um, I talk about the the um, how the industry is changing. So the the um, automation of basic tasks and what we talked about before. Um, so yeah, there's a, basically just a summary um, of, of what came out of those, those interviews. What was, your, what was the theme on um, technology then? Where, how would you summarize that? So I think the main thing I learned was that I, what I mentioned earlier in terms of um, how it's automating basic tasks. Mm. Um, and then the other side of it was um, how it can be used potentially for well-being but a lot a lot of that was kind of you know oh, we we whatsapp we have a whatsapp group really simple simple stuff um and how you know if you think about if the pandemic had happened you know 20 years ago would we we wouldn't would we have we've kind of it's great that we have the technology in place to transition so quickly to hybrid working so there was yeah. like because it could have been worse. Um, so there was that, and there was all the different ways to, to kind of connect with employees online. Um, so that was that was the other side of it. But it was really more, a lot of informal informal communication. And then also, um, you know, you, the use of Microsoft Teams, or I think there are other similar ones, um, and instant messaging um, within the, the work environment and then with the WhatsApp as well. Um, so yeah, more just communication related for that side of it. And how can um, it, 
is the report available? Can people listening to this obtain it? So I believe the, um, uh, and I'll have to double check if I, if I can say yeah. this with them, yeah, but I sure. believe the call center management association are publishing it on their website. Um, so I'm not sure we will also be publishing it, um, on Sherp has a website. So I'll probably also put it on the Sherp website as well. Um, yeah. And as right. well, if anybody's interested in before it's, put on any website anywhere um they can contact me and i can send it to them if yeah. they'd like um so they can send it to my to my email um i will you put my email on the yes uh, yeah yeah by all means they can email yeah. me. if people if people are interested they can email me and i'll send them the the report that's great and um you mentioned as well that you that the report is just a very small summary of a, a big academic um piece of work that you've been that you've been doing and um are you, have you started the work into solutions or not solutions net per se, but um, the next steps or, or is that kind of to be yeah. done? Yeah, so um, my so the second study would be kind of the solution. So I have started that. I'm just recruiting for that right now. So that's going to involve um, a series of four workshops. Um, and I'm going to use something called the Six Squid Intervention Development Framework, which is a, a research framework for developing interventions or programs. Um, to I'm going to work with two or three call centers, and I'm going to do four workshops with senior management. And that was the the criteria was because I want to work with senior management um, in first identifying the because I have an understanding of what some of the barriers are based on the first study. Um, but in the first workshop, it would be identifying the specific barriers for that organization um, and figuring out what their biggest gaps or problems are. Or it might just be that they have a program that's working and they want to enhance it. So kind of figuring out what they want to work on and how, how I can help them do that. And then the latter three workshops will just be developing that. So understanding exactly what barriers you want to overcome and then how we're going to overcome them. Um, so that'll probably take about six months. Um, so I'm recruiting for that now. Um, I'm actually, I have two, I'm starting at the end of May though. So it's quite, quite soon. Um, although I may start a cohort a bit later if there's more interest. Um, so it's basically just working one-on-one -on -one with a couple centers to, to kind of through a systematic process to kind of figure out how to help them with their specific um, uh, barriers to well-being programming to help them more sustain help them be more sustainable um, and I'll bring in what I learned from the first study and kind of present that to them and then we can talk more about that um, in the workshops. Did you say you're still looking for because I imagine after hearing this you might get people saying that they'd be they'd want to take part. Potentially so I have um, I can only, I only have capacity to work with two or three so I, I think I've got two um but i'm not sure so I, I am still recruiting by the time this this comes out i may have already already finished but still happy to hear from anybody who's interested um and and see if i have I have scope at that time so that then takes six months um then then what so um during the so that study too um and during that time i may conduct a rapid review um to help inform depending on what what each organization decides they want to work on i might do i might go back to the literature and see if there's kind of evidence on whatever area we end up looking at um, to help kind of inform the workshops and figure out what would be best for them to do um, and then 
yeah, that, that's essentially the end of my, <clears throat> excuse me, that's essentially the end of my PhD um, would be working for six months with a couple centers. Um, <clears throat> and by the end of the four workshops, um, we would have developed and tested um, an action plan to help overcome some of the barriers for each specific organization. So that's kind of that, that's kind of the end of, of that. Um, that's kind of the end of the PhD would be doing like a case studies with a couple centers. And you can, can I know you down now? Can you come back on? Mm -hmm. um, and kind of share the share the results if you're able to. Yeah, yeah, of course. It might be might be in a year or two because um, these things take, uh, as you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I'd love to come back on. Um, it's really good um, to share uh, research in kind of non-academic settings because I feel like at the university, um, you know, you have lots of opportunities to present at conferences and things. But when I started the PhD, I was kind of like it. It was more important for me to be doing it presenting in, in non-academic settings because I'm producing things for the contact center industry. So I want to be, you know, sharing research with the contact center industry because that's who it's for. Um, and at SHRP, we, we really like to, to share research in, in non-academic settings and work with non-academic partners. So um, yeah, the short answer is yes, I will come back. Well, we're a very, a very eager industry for this kind of stuff. I'm sure you would get your hand bitten off for uh, um, conferences, forums, other 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 podcasts, ways of just being able to to share your your work because I think it's great that you're doing it, and I think I just think it's great that the the level of um, how you approach academic studies being applied to our industry can only be to our benefit. Mm -hmm. um, so the more we hear from you, the more. The more that's shared, um, the the better. And ha have you thought further past that, or or not? Have you just gone? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do this. And... Um, I I mean, now that I'm about I'm past halfway through the PGA, I'm starting to think about oh, you know, what's next? There's obviously the academic path, which if I did if I did choose that, then I would continue <clears throat> to look at call centers. I like to continue to look at workplace well-being kind of that area and then there's the you know if I develop something that I could then <clears throat> turn into a business um, or do something you know continue to work with call centers or work in a call center as a well-being consultant or something so there's the whole private sector and then there's the the academic route and then there's the um, the government route um, working for um, you know either the UK or Canadian government um, in workplace so various right. things um, I'd love to do the research because you know you kind of just asked me what's next and I was like well that that's it but there's so much more that could be done so then yeah. there's the, you know do I could do a postdoc or so I don't know but I, I definitely don't want the research to just end at the end of the PhD and that be it I do want to make sure even if it's just sharing continuing yeah. to share with the industry I do want it to to have an impact to have a long-term impact hopefully so that yeah, but what, how exactly that manifests, I don't know. Well, Gillian, thank you so much for coming on. And like I said, I think you'll get inundated with um, okay. with requests <laughs> for, for further sharing, for involvement. And um, thank you so much for doing it. Good good luck with the Thanks rest of it. And um, hopefully we'll speak to you at intermittent points throughout of it. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Thank you very much.
Thanks for coming on. Great. Do you...